The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center, sponsored by General Dynamics Information Technology. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of government contracting. Amtower Off Center with your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with a return guest, but he doesn't come that often. Carl Dixon of captureplanning.com and proplibrary.com. Carl, welcome back to the show, man. Thanks, Mark. Good to have you here. Uh, for those who might not know you, tell them who you are, what you do, and how they can access your stuff. Okay. I help companies learn how to win new business. Um, and, but I do most of that online. I publish uh, Prop Library, which the best way to find more about it is just simply to go there because there is tons of free stuff. And I've been doing this now for oh over 15 years. Um, so I've built up quite a library of things that are immediately useful for people. Okay. And captureplanning.com? That is the very first site that I launched my business with, and we're getting ready to relaunch that. And um, we'll, we'll be doing a lot of interesting collaborative things on there. So stay tuned for that one. Cool. All right, man. Uh, and again, for those of you who don't know, Carl advises a lot of companies on especially the proposal side of the business. And I've recommended uh, Prop Library to especially a lot of smaller firms that I work with regarding building that library of usable materials for your own proposals. And uh, Carl can actually help you set those up. One of the many things that he does. So, Carl, when you told me you were coming back to D.C., because you don't live here, um, you do visit occasionally, though. I made sure you got a copy of the Market Connections uh, Government Contractor Study. Uh, and for those of you listening, marketconnectionsinc.com, just look for the 2018 uh, Federal Government Contractor Study. That's uh, what we will be discussing. And then we'll be talking about some articles that you can find at Prop Library. Uh, but the overall thrust of the study was to identify best practices for winning business and identifying challenges of marketing and BD professionals. And several of the things stuck out to me because they're things that you and I have discussed frequently. Uh, they're things that we both write about. So um, on, on the organization capability ratings, the, the number one item was thought leadership and demonstrating thought leadership and subject matter expertise. How important is that? It's really important because that basically is your strategies, your win strategies, you know, manifesting in, in the world. If you're not positioning as a thought leader, then you're likely not also doing the things that you need to really impress your customers to retain your contracts and develop the past performance record you need to win new contracts. Or win your first business if you're small and relatively new. Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, have, having being a sub doesn't give you CPARs, so you have no past performance. So when you're a small company and you're, you know, 10 people or so, 
and you claim to be a systems integrator or an expert in a dozen different categories. Yeah, you can. I mean, as a small business with no track record yet, it's so hard to break into the market because, yes, if you have no past performance, you'll get a neutral rating. But a neutral rating is really just the kiss of death because a score of a five will lose against anybody that has good past performance or even has marginal past performance. If they get a six, they beat you if you've got a five. Yeah. Okay. So the the uh, the next item is differentiating from the competition, and this uh, was recurrent in the study. It shows up again as uh, differentiating in more than price. If you're not differentiating, and I'll put price aside for a second, if you're not differentiating, then all you're competing on is price. So the difference that they put in the survey really matters to focus your attention on developing uh, differentiators in your approaches and and how you do business. But essentially, it's your differentiators that win it for you, Um, which makes them kind of important because the way a customer selects a proposal is by looking for the differences between them. The way a government customer scores a proposal, to score it, yes, they follow the, the criteria, but the differences between companies helps them identify the strengths and weaknesses that they use for their scoring system. So differentiation ends up being um, critical if you're going to actually compete on value or compete on anything other than price. And if you're only competing on price, you better do that right. Okay. And and these are only uh, three of the, uh, I think, nine or ten things listed in the uh, capability ratings, but I'm, I'm kind of handpicking them because they're things that Carl and I discuss publicly and privately. So the, the final item we'll discuss on, on this uh, slide would be tactical business development and sales effort. So do you do the BD side at all? You advise on the BD side still? I advise on the BD side. I don't do BD for other companies, but I help them assess their pipelines and develop the strategies for filling them um, because understanding the mathematics that drive your pipeline helps you allocate your resources and helps you make better decisions. So I help companies develop their organizations. I'm not a sales guy, right? but sales is part of the equation for figuring out how you're going to allocate your resources, and most importantly, what you're going to do once you have those leads so that by the time you get to the proposal end of the process, you want to be making the right decision so that you can actually close all those sales that you're trying to chase. Okay. Two other items before I move on to a couple of your articles. Um, On the business development staff challenges that they address, two are right up your alley. Um, number three, identifying the right win themes. I've seen you uh, write on this numerous times. Well, your win themes, uh, at the core, it's just how you're articulating your, your differentiators, which end up becoming the reasons why the the customer should select you. And everybody knows that when they sit down to write a proposal and their minds go blank and they're staring at a blank page, everybody knows that themes are important. 
but where do they come from? How do you build them? And there's are links between developing an information advantage. So your pre RFP pursuit process delivers the information that you need. A lot of times not being able to do themes is really just a symptom that you're not gathering the right information before you start your proposal. So companies struggle with themes, but but it's also symptomatic of some of the other organizational development issues that companies face. How frequent does a company simply, you know, like scan FBO and start responding immediately without gathering? Way too frequently. Um, that's one of the reasons why I got involved with um, pipeline assessments because that's a great way to have a low win rate and it's a great way to get into a pursuit without having the right strategies, without having the differentiators. It's a way of developing a company that's only capable of competing on price, which in the long run ends up killing your margins and your business potential. So, the reason why we, you know, you, you, you want to uh, focus on having the right information to write good themes and doing all the organizational development things that you need to get into position to be capable of doing that is so that you're not simply winning this one pursuit, but you're developing an organization that has a long-term higher growth potential. And that's what understanding the pipeline math can help you see. And when I show that to people, their eyes light up and, and the light bulb goes off and they realize that, hey, there's actually a structure to this that if I follow it, mathematically, I can see where I'm going to end up. Cool. All right. We're going to take our first break and then we'll wrap up on the uh, the market connection stuff. You're listening to Am Tower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'll be back with Carl right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with Carl Dixon of captureplanning.com and uh, proplibrary.com. And uh, for those of you interested, my LinkedIn for GovCon social selling uh, webinars, it's a three-part thing, is on Carl's Website, uh, proplibrary.com forward slash Amtower. So uh, I'm, I'm not doing public sessions right now, but it is available. So there you go. So, Carl, the last thing on here that I really wanted to talk about was the positioning for recompetes. And you can look at this from both sides of the fence, the incumbent versus the wannabes. One easy way to fill a portion of your pipeline is to go to all the various databases and data sources, even the free ones like um, FPDS, and identify the contracts that are coming up for recompete, um, and then get into position to be able to have a credible chance of winning them. It's very easy to get the data on all the recompetes that are coming up, and um, then you shift your attention to, okay, well, now I need to get in position. And what does that mean? Ideally, that means some relationship marketing, developing an information advantage, and um, as well as getting ready for the, the uh, proposal. 
But you have to keep in mind that while you're doing all these preparations, somebody else is preparing to defend their contract. And when you're defending your recompetes, that has challenges of its own. Sometimes it can be harder to win as the incumbent than it is to win as a challenger. Um, because as a challenger, you can take risks. Um, you can actually be innovative, whereas as the incumbent, you've been tied down to the contract and pricing that you've had to live with for five years, okay? And the technology you initially proposed is now five years stale. And so that's how the customer is seeing you. So there's critical positioning you have to do regardless of whether you're playing attack or defense in the incumbency game. Okay. When companies are identifying through, you know, FPDS, for instance, uh, vehicles that they want to uh, uh, challenge the incumbent on, are they they looking these up via keywords, via NAICS, via PSC? Um, What? All of the above. Um, okay. If you're you're doing a good job of it, your your queries are pretty complex because you start off at a strategic level to identify which um, customers buy the most of what I sell, and those are the ones that you target for your relationship marketing campaigns um, because you can't, especially as a small business, have a relationship with everybody in the government with every potential buyer of what you sell. So you want to be very strategic about who you want to get to know and you want to get to know uh, customers that that are going to be repeat customers that have more than one contract that's potentially relevant to your company. So you can use the data in FPDS and, and, and the other databases to identify who's buying the most of what you sell, target then who you want to get to know and then lay out a timeline of potential recompetes that goes several years into the future so that you can actually do things like talk to the customer 18 months ahead of anticipated RFP release. I mean, a lot of businesses struggle with how do you actually do that? And with the recompetes, it's easy because the timeline is known. Okay, cool. So um, I want to tie this back to what we started at the beginning. So, both your win themes and positioning for those recompetes is going to tie back into the area of expertise that you bring to the market, correct? Yes. We started off talking about thought leadership. Okay. If you're doing thought leadership marketing that way, then then <clears throat> you are developing content and posting things that show insight. You have approaches that are special. You know what matters, and those are the things that make you a thought leader. They're also the things that give you your differentiators, the things that matter, the differences in your approaches and the reasons why they're better, and that level of insight. So that becomes a combination of thought leadership, wind theme development, as well as as forming your, your positioning strategies for, for how you go about breaking into that customer. Okay, cool. And, you know, when, when we were discussing what we were going to discuss on the show, the topics that we'd be discussing, you recommended uh, four articles in particular that you have uh, uh, written, most of them pretty new, by the way. And the first one uh, ties into this perfectly. 
four ways small businesses can beat much larger competitors. Um, item number one, stronger relationships. What do you mean by this? A lot of times when I'm uh, working with a small business, they're very scared of the big companies because they have so many staff and everybody in the small business is wearing three or four different hats. Um, none of them are proposal specialists and they know that those big companies are just full. They, they have like proposal departments with like, you know, a dozen or more people. One of the things that I, I try to point out to them is that, yes, but a large company is also trying to be everywhere all at the same time. And they're also often collections of smaller companies. They're not really a single entity. And a small business can take on a larger company and beat them soundly um, if they just focus on the right things like your customer relationships. Okay. Any particular contract is just one of thousands for a large company, but your contracts are, are much fewer and your relationships with your customers should be a lot closer. And if you know your customer well and you know how what their their procurement process is and you know that well then you can actually do a better job of navigating the procurement process and do a better job of creating a proposal that is directly relevant to what the customer cares about most companies including the large ones do a really bad job of that so if you focus your attention there and, and, and develop some skills in that area, yes, you're being pulled in a thousand different directions as a small business and everybody's wearing all, you know, all these different hats. But if you focus on the right things, you can still win. It's funny that you bring such emphasis to that point and make it number one. Uh, several years ago, I had the uh, VP of uh, business development for Northrop Grumman here. And he had several criteria for partnering with small business. And one of the biggest ones was that company's relationship with the client. If their relationship was deeper, it was a much better fit. So the comfort level was higher, but didn't guarantee the small business any traction from the vehicle. Well, let's talk about mid-sized companies for just a second. Because, yeah, small businesses, you're going to graduate even if it's years away. And I know that you're telling yourself, but I do full and open RFPs as well as the sheltered ones. And the uh, most important thing you can do is not bid some full and open RFPs, but have strong customer relationships. Because once you become a mid-sized company, when, when you no longer qualify for your small business categories and you're still competing against the large companies, the only thing that can still get you on a team is going to be the strength of your customer relationships. So if those aren't sound and those aren't providing you with an information advantage in the marketplace, then as a mid-sized business, you're going to struggle. And since it takes time to get that depth of relationship with a customer, that's what you should be doing right now while you still can. Right. And one of the things when I'm coaching small businesses, I tell them to focus on one or two agencies max. Get in there, get in there deep. If you have a beachhead, develop the beachhead. 
So um, once again, aligned. Um, we're colluding. Uh, item number two in four ways a small business can beat a much larger competitor is present a more compelling message. And this seems to go back to the study, too. If you really are doing thought leadership and you have insight, you know what matters, and you've differentiated your approaches, then out of those, you can evolve a message to the customer in your when you get to the proposal phase that says not only select me because I've got some experience or I've got some staff, which is what a lot of businesses you know seem to to focus too much on, but you can also now say, you know another reason to select me is that you're going to get something better, and here's how and here's why a lot of times why the reasons why you're bidding what you're bidding can be even more important than what you're bidding. Thinking it through is something that as a small business, you want to put more effort into than your larger competitors. Okay. So maybe they do have a proposal shop with an assembly line cranking out proposals. That doesn't mean they're doing a good job of it. Nobody does proposals as well as they would like to do them. So if you can put some attention on these things, you can actually develop a better message and that can help you win. Cool. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Carl and I shall return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with Carl Dixon of captureplanning.com and proplibrary.com. The articles, or the, the article that we're currently discussing, and hopefully we'll get to a couple more, are at proplibrary.com. You can just type in a topic in the search, and you'll find a ton of stuff here. And this that, that's just on the free side. So if, if you, uh, it is a membership site, and let me tell you, it's worth being a member here. So, Carl, number three on four ways a small business can beat a much larger competitor is... Follow the right process better. There's two parts to that. First is you have to have the right process. And let me tell you about those big companies. Their processes are messed up, every single one of them. All right. It's not that they don't have a process. They actually have a process. They probably have about 30 of them. Every different uh, company that they've uh, done a merger with brought a new process and when they go to SharePoint and they start looking up their process documentation, they have dozens of them to choose from. And some have done a better job of organizing that material than others, but they don't necessarily have as much maturity in their processes as as you might think. Um, The other side of that problem is you have to follow the process better. Because even though a company has a process, even though they have a proposal department, doesn't mean that everybody gets along and does what they're supposed to do within the process. In fact, larger the company, the more distant people are, a lot of times the more chaotic things can get and the more territories there are to cause conflict. So as a small business, you can actually have a process. You can actually have a well-thought-through process. And one of the things that I've done on Prop Library is created off-the-shelf process documentation that's just as as comprehensive as the ones the big companies use 
but it's available off the shelf and it's a great accelerator. But you can have something like that well thought through, even if you develop it all by yourself and you can actually follow it and you can get your staff on the same page. Getting your team to work as a team is easier for a small business than it is for a large business. And if you have a better functioning team with following the right process with better discipline, you can produce a better proposal. And that's that's how small businesses can compete. Okay. This is probably rhetorical, but we have a lot of uh, set-aside categories on GWACs and IDIQs. Do these processes work when those task orders go out in a bidding format from the project or program office of Oasis or Soup or CIOSP3, small, uh, et cetera? That's why you have to have the right process. Because fundamentally what we have to do to win a proposal is the same, regardless of the contract vehicle. It's just some of the details that change. But some fairly traditional processes, um, if you take them from a, you know, 30, 45, 60 day uh, deadline down to a five or 10 day deadline, they'll just break because they're not designed for scalability. So you have to have the right process that can scale. And when you do, then you're doing the same things for a 30 day strategic RFP that you would do for a 10 day quick turnaround task order proposal. Um, you're just not doing them in as much detail and doing them a whole lot faster. If you really think about it, there is no difference between a small proposal and a large proposal. The difference in what you have so to do to win. a small proposal could be a task order off of GY. Yeah. You still need to differentiate. You still need to have themes. You still need to have a message. You still need to plan your content validate the quality of what you've written. Fundamentally, it's the same stuff. It's just a different scale. And these days it's not, may not, may or may not be a different page count because page count doesn't tell you anything about the value size and complexity of the bid anymore. Okay. So, um, just as kind of an aside, soup has accelerated the growth of several companies. So, uh, at present, I think Joanne has 192 companies on Soup 5. But on Soup 4, Worldwide Tech, I think, was the number one producer over the term of four. And the company that emerged in the number two spot was Red River. And Red River started off uh, on Soup 4, I think, with like 40, 45 employees. And they ended up pushing probably into that mid-tier that you were talking about earlier. And I've, I've talked to uh, uh, the contracting officer, uh, former now contracting officer for uh, Red River, the VP of Contracts, Jim Connell, several times. He actually comes to my class at GW and does guest lectures for me. But one of the things he wouldn't talk about was the secret sauce for that growth, leveraging soup. And what you seem to be saying is he, he probably had a process that was really, really good. Processes evolve if you're doing them well. Okay. When, when you first start off, 
Um, when you're not just a small business, but you're a micro business, yeah, there's not a lot of detail or maturity in your processes. But if you have the right principles, if you define proposal quality correctly, then you might not necessarily have a lot of detail in your procedures for how you get to that quality, but everybody knows what they're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And over time, your process evolves as you you flesh out the details for how you get to your reviews, you know, and, and fulfill those quality criteria. But when I've seen small businesses take off like that, it's generally because the person uh, running the business uh, had the right, uh, what, what I would call the right quality criteria in mind, which is essentially the right principles. Um, they weren't creating proposals based on their own priorities, but they had already figured out instinctively how to create proposals that that reflected the customer's perspective so that their proposals were being created with the right target in mind, you know, having the, the, the message that the customer needed to hear. Okay. Yeah. And, and you know, there's, there's uh, so many companies that win spots on these vehicles and they really don't seem to grasp, you know, they, they get a, uh, uh, they're one of a half a dozen who gets the, uh, the RP for a task order coming down the pike and they, they, you know, they don't do the research. They just fill in the blanks and, and then they call and say, I, I filled out five and I haven't won anything yet. We have to make a distinction between companies that are in a commodities business and companies that aren't. If you're in a commodity business, most products and, and some services um, like, like staffing comes to mind, um, the provider doesn't really matter so long as they fulfill the specs administrative services can sometimes be like that. So the customer doesn't care who the company is that's providing it. All they want is the specs fulfilled. And so your strategies in that environment are very different than if you're doing um, solutions or value-added value-added services. And when you get into value-added services, it's not about you. It's not about what you want to say it's not about what you want to propose. It's about what the customer wants to buy and what they need to see in the proposal in order to reach a decision that you're their best alternative. The small businesses leaders that understand that instinctively lay the right you know, uh, foundation. And as their growth takes off, if they double down and in- invest in that approach, to systematize it, turn it into a process, and make sure all of their staff are on the same page regarding how it's implemented, they take off like a rocket. But it's something that anybody can learn, and it doesn't require you to immediately have a proposal department with a dozen people in order to do well. So that's really something that I try to do with the materials that that I publish, is, is to point these things out to people so that they can um, take that advice and build out their companies and uh, hopefully uh, reach out to me later on when, when, when they grow to the point where we can work together. There you go. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. 
Uh, we'll be back with Carl right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm here with Carl Dixon. You can find Carl on LinkedIn. You can find him at proplibrary.com. You can find him at captureplanning.com. I suggest you do all of the above. Uh, Carl has a newsletter that goes out as a weekly. Yes. Okay. Uh, that is well worth your time because usually it has one of these articles at least started in it and it'll give you the link to go back to the website. And it's not a link to make you join to pay for it. It's a link to the article. So give it a try. Um, it's great stuff. So the fourth point of the article on four ways a small business can beat a much larger competitor is develop an information advantage. So I have a different slant on this, but give me yours. When I talk about developing an information advantage, what I'm really saying is that an information advantage is how you measure your customer relationships, at least when it comes to winning proposals. So you talk to sometimes to people in the business development part department and what you get is, Oh yeah, we, we, you know, I went out and visited that customer. I gave them a copy of my capabilities statement, you know, and how does that actually like impact whether you win or lose the bid that's coming up? So most people usually say, well, okay, but it's good that, that, you know, to have that face-to-face contact and, and I agree, but what, really makes the difference is whether you have gained some insight about the customer that changes what you put on paper in that proposal. Because if what you did during the pre-RFP phase does not change what you write on paper in your proposal, then your pre-RFP phase did nothing to impact whether you win or lose that document. So developing an, an information advantage is about gathering insight that that changes what you propose and how you propose it and your win strategies and your themes, all of that. Okay. So from my perspective, an information advantage should include how you're gathering information on the customer before you even bid. So what technologies they're using? Have you read their OMB submissions? Are you following uh, their their key people? Are you trying to to get in front of them in non office situations? So uh, at at conferences where they're speaking, uh, any any types of events like that, uh, the associations come into play here. So ACT IAC or AFCA or the Professional Services Council, especially, all provide venues. A firm every month has a lunch. But they bring in a senior technical manager from government, and they, they uh, you know, have this uh, um, presentation. So how does that play into what you just outlined? Those are all really good uh, sources of information and points of contact and places to start building the relationship. But I like to think about it from the proposal side and – Think about what a proposal writer needs to create a great proposal instead of an ordinary proposal. And I want that pre-RFP phase to deliver answers to all the questions that a proposal writer might have during the proposal. And I'm talking about things like customer preferences. Like when we get into the proposal writing 
all right, do we want to have a single point of contact or do we want the customer just to interact with, 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 with anybody? What's this customer's style? Are they authoritarian? Are they collaborative? Um, how should I write my approaches? You know, you know. So if you can't describe the cult, how the customer wants to, things to work, if you can't tell me what their preferences are, then in the proposal, the writers are going to water it down. If you can't take a stand on this is how the customer wants things to work. So discovering that is what the pre RFP phase is all about. And, 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 um, you know, for, for, for me, that's really the purpose of relationship marketing is, is to get that kind of insight and whether or not you got it can be quantified in how many questions you're able to answer. And, and so when I talk about developing an information advantage and I go into my proposal process geek mode, I am literally talking about scripting questions to answer in the pre RFP phase and quantifying how many of them you were able to get answers to and how you turn those answers into your, your win strategies and themes for the proposal. And so when I structure a process like, 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 like the one that I've written and the one that's on prop library, it guides people through that step by step so that there's a flow of information that, that comes from the customer into the proposal. Okay. So um, you had four items here. We've got a few minutes left. So um, I want to jump uh, to uh, the, the – we had three or four articles here. Um, you you had one on explain to your customer why you should win, and and I I just love the title. So how do you do that? <laughs> well, you have to to start from the evaluation criteria and the evaluation process, and this is where most companies doing proposals have have already failed. Okay, because they start explaining about themselves. Well, I've got this amount of experience. I've got this many locations. I've got this many staff. We do these kind of things, and that's why you should pick me because I can do the the the, the work. I'm compliant with everything in the RFP, and who cares? That, that's my addition. Right. Um, what? So, from the customer's perspective, I've got these evaluation forms that I have to 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 complete. They might be based on strengths and weaknesses. They might be based on other criteria. They might be point scored. They might not be. Um, but whatever, you know, my evaluation process is that tells me what I'm looking for from the proposal. And so the reasons why you get selected are what the customer is able to find in your proposal and put on their evaluation forms. So when I talk about, you know, um, explaining to the customer why they should select you. If it's a federal customer, then, then, then what we're really talking about is giving them what they need to give you the best score. That's not the same as saying, here's why I think I should get the top score, but looking at their evaluation process and making it easy for them to complete their forms and giving them the sound bites that they can copy and paste from your proposal onto their forms makes a huge difference. Okay. Um, so that, that definitely ties in with the, uh, the point from the market connection study. Um, you know, 
you know, how, how do you get to, to the wind theme? So um, let's wrap up by by giving, I would love to say, just small businesses, but the information is going to float for anybody. Give, give me three or four points on things that have to happen before you start writing. Anticipate the questions that the proposal writers will have. And, um, and I don't mean about RFP details. I mean about positioning. Okay. Um, and show up knowing what your differentiators are and make sure that they're actually differentiators, please. Okay. Because a lot of times um, I'll go into a, to, to a proposal situation and the differentiators aren't terribly unique. Um, in fact, everybody will be claiming them because of the nature of the work or the nature or, or what's in the RFP. So differentiators. Um, and then uh, beyond that, for the pre-RFP phase, focus on what matters. Let's get a little bit of real meaning into this. Um, you know, I just spoke about how the RFP evaluation criteria and, and the reasons why the customer should select you should, should, should map together in a way that was almost mechanical. But let's also talk about real meaning here. And this is where thought leadership and positioning uh, um, come, come into play. But what really does make your business special? And what is really special about what you're going to do for this customer? And what are they going to get out of it? And what, how's that going to make a difference to them? Because underneath all of the scoring mechanics, if you can deliver real meaning, then you can find a message that's truly compelling. Um, otherwise, no amount of wishing that your proposal for your proposal to be compelling is going to make it so. Um, so, you know, those are the three things that 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 that, that I would really like to see. You know, if, I, if I'm coming into a proposal, that's really what I would like to see delivered by the pre-RFP process. Cool. Next time you come in, next time you come to D.C., we'll get back together and parse another one of your articles. Carl Dixon, CapturePlanning.com and PropLibrary.com. Carl, thanks for coming in, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. Uh, this is not my day job. I advise companies on a variety of aspects of marketing to the government. I have a small business program that runs for one year. And if you sign up soon, you'll actually get 14 months for the year because it'll run through uh, 2019, uh, the FY 2019. So uh, if if you're a small business and you're interested in growing, if you're interested in this type of of thing that Carl and I have been discussing, drop me a line at mark at federaldirect.net. And thank you very much for listening to Amtower Off-Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off-Center, sponsored by General Dynamics Information Technology. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear the entire show or any of our weekly programs anytime at federalnewsradio.com. Amtower Off-Center, only on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. E-commerce merchants, does consistent monthly growth while hitting ROI goals sound good? 
Here at Adderall, our customers constantly let us know it feels good. Adderall helps you attract new customers and bring shoppers back to finish the sale. Integrate your e-commerce store with Adderall and manage display, social media, and native advertising all in one place. Sounds good, right? See the difference. Visit Adderall.com to get started today.